Dave Williams presents Conversations.Buzz. Thanks for joining me on Conversations.Buzz. This is a very special episode of my podcast because I get to spend some time with my good friend, longtime buddy, and uh, radio partner, Bob Nathan. In July of 1981, Bob and I met when we became partners in the morning radio news show on KGNR in Sacramento. We did very well. And we were invited to move our show to KFBK in 1985. And the rest, as they say, is history. In this case, that's true. Radio history in Sacramento, at least. Nobody has ever uh, approached the ratings numbers that we had. Our show was never really planned. And that's how this conversation goes. We talk about all kinds of stuff, including our careers together. We talk about uh, our good friend Rush Limbaugh and the time we took him river rafting. Uh, we talk about uh, theater, and we talk a little bit. I mean, there's no agenda here. We just kind of ramble. It's a conversation. That's how the Dave and Bob show worked. So here we are together again, me and my good friend, Bob Nathan. How you doing, bud? I'm doing well. Yeah. yeah very well. Kind of yeah. healthy. Um, kind of happy that the Dodgers just signed Shohei Otani. Did they? A $700 million 10-year deal. Which means they won't be able to pay anybody else between now and then. Isn't that great? Uh, well, as a as a newborn Texas Rangers fan, <laughs> you don't not care. since they won the World Series since I got here in Dallas 12 <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Uh, I'm just glad to have them in the National League. Right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'm happy that Bochy won again. Oh, He's just the greatest. Yeah. There and, are so he, many. Everybody here was so excited when he was hired. I bet. His track record, of course, but also just because he's a terrific guy. Well, yeah, he is. All the local interviews and stuff. He's just, uh, he's just delightful. Yeah. He's great. They, uh, they test me, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're a good bunch. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, I cannot tell you how many how many people I, I've uh, you know I, I I let the word slip that I was going to be talking with you and that I would try to get this uh, on stream tomorrow on Sunday, and uh, people just come I you know thirty what is it uh, thirty forty two fifteen seventy a whole bunch of time yeah, later since we I mean you started <laughs> you and I started working together in nineteen eighty one. So that's 42 years ago. Yeah, it was. And uh, I believe you left my my uh, partnership with you uh, 20, 30 years ago, 1993. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So I'm just going to say that it's been a long time, and there are people still coming out of the woodwork. I mean, it's just amazing how many people still remember us. I get I get emails and references on uh, on uh, social media on a, on a weekly basis. I really do. And uh, people still saying we were just the best thing in radio. And, you know, <laughs> I don't I don't know what you remember. Frankly, I really I don't remember anything specific. I thought, you know, I had to sit and talk about talk to you about some of the things that we did and the places we worked together and what the and f- frankly, very, very little comes to mind, except that uh, by and large, it was a. It was a wonderful relationship, and we did a terrific job because we had a chemistry that I had never experienced before in the business and haven't experienced since. Well, I'll tell you what it comes down to, from to, to my way of thinking. What worked is, A, you're a great talent, and B, I'm a good second banana <laughs> because I recognize a great talent. Well, and. You and I are contemporaries, and we had something very much in common, and that is our number one concern with doing a show. And I, I ask this question, I've asked it a, a bunch of times when I've been a guest lecturer at college communications programs and high school journalism classes and so on. What's the most important aspect of not just radio, but any communication um, entity that you can think of, whether it be print? Uh, television, broadcast, anything, any communication. And what's the single most important? And most people say talent. And I say, no, it's not it. And then they think about it and they say, oh, well, okay, sales, because that's where the money's made. No, it's not it. Management? No, they'd like to think so, but <laughs> they're famously incompetent. 
<laughs> you know, nobody ever got it on the first crack. It's the audience. Yeah. It's Simple the audience. And you and I directed our program and everything we did uh, for the benefit of the audience. Yeah. Well, and they, true- they, they loved us back for it. There, there were there were two reasons for that. One that uh, I have been trying to explain um, ever since in, in so many different radio stations and so many different markets. Number one is neither one of us had any desire to be journalists or, <laughs> or even news people. Yeah, we were radio people, and that's it. And to and to to our way of thinking, most important part of that, regardless of what kind of format we were doing, if we were playing records or we were playing telephones or we were playing newscasts, the most important thing was to hold the audience's attention. Without that, there's no point in, in doing anything. Really? And, and, you you and, remember um, the phrase, give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world? Oh, God, yeah, I worked there. KFWB. Okay. <laughs> so that's been attributed to Norm Woodruff. Right. Uh, I don't know if he ever did it or not, if he said that or not. but I don't know either. But that's the typical average time spent listening, which is a forgotten number in radio ratings. TSL, we used to call it. And if if people got 22 minutes uh, a day out of you, they'd be happy. Mm -hmm. Radio uh, shows got that. We had 90 minutes. Yeah. Was our (laughs) time spent. Unheard of. In the yeah. industry, especially when you consider the time of day. We were on from five until nine in the morning. People had lives they were preparing. They're and trying to get ready to go to work. They got to go out and start the car. Sometimes it's cold and frosty. And and who who listens to the radio for 90 minutes in the middle of all that? Well, a lot of people. They, they did. <laughs> <laughs> Record numbers. I, I don't think our, our ratings have been topped. Well, I don't think so either. Um, I can't speak with uh, a great deal of authority historically for Sacramento radio uh, audio, uh, uh, ratings since that time. But I know there was a period of time you and I were absolutely uh, not only head and heels over the number two station at the time, which I believe probably, well, it depends if we're talking about KFEK, it was probably, uh, it was probably crack. I'm not sure. No, Maybe- it was, it was actually those, um, uh, Oh, there's, there's one in every market morning zoo. Oh yeah, the morning zoo, right, right. I'm sorry, I apologize for forgetting. On 102 in Woodland, yeah, yeah. crack was. Uh, they were way down the way down the list, but yeah, I you know, right that. now in Sacramento, well, I shouldn't say right now. Last time I was aware of it was probably three, four years ago. Number one had a five or a six share. Yeah, yeah, and and that would have been number two when we were on, and we, and we were anywhere from 19 to 21. Right, exactly. <laughs> we had 20 shares. Yeah. And people on radio today can say, well, there aren't that many people listening to radio now. They've got a lot more competition. Uh, that's true. Um, there are also more radio stations in Sacramento than there were at the time. So there's that consideration too. But the fact of the matter is you and I got, uh, you and I were known to the point where we get recognized out in the war, out on the street or in a grocery store from being on radio. He says, what's yeah. that all about? <laughs> Well, at one point they did put our mugs up on a billboard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the other thing though, I was going to mention, besides the fact that neither one of us ever had any desire to, to be, um, considered news authorities because it was so, it was so such a stuffy attitude. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not criticizing people who uh, go on local radio or TV and doing their jobs. It's a, it's a fine career. It really is. It's just that you and I never wanted to do that. We nope. just kind of got sucked into it and it worked out well. But the other part of what you and I had in common was our theater and our ability to yeah. interact with each other in, in real and total character. And that's the thing that so many people in our business still don't understand. I can't tell you how many times I would be talking with somebody in Los Angeles radio. Um, I remember one uh, program director saying, you know, I really like this, uh, this new woman I hired. I think she's got a great talent and a great deal of, uh, shows a lot of promise, but I can't get her to, I can't get her to just loosen up and be herself or something. I said, for God's sakes, we are in Hollywood. Find her, (laughs) 
find her a, a theater coach, a drama coach, teach her to act. And nobody, nobody that I know of to this day ever got that. You know, and I didn't know really how to explain it, but I think it had uh, everything in the world with our ability to interact with each other. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And, and what, what do you do in theater to make that work? You, you take care of the audience. That's right. <laughs> if you don't have the audience, what you have is a, a, a board with a bunch of dials on it and, and goodwill, which is, which is all radio is, but with no audience, you're essentially a parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. People still ask you what happened, how it ended. Dave and Bob. Um, mostly I, they, they ask me, why did you leave? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, they insisted. <laughs> uh, why? Well, I, maybe they got tired of counting money. I don't know. There's, you know, I mean, it, it's water under the bridge, but, uh, it was a, it was a tough time. It was a tough time for both of us. I remember, uh, thinking, uh, very seriously that, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't continue because it certainly wasn't going to be the same without you. And, uh, I had, uh, you know, and I had news people calling, you know, TV people calling me at home and newspaper calling me at home wanting a comment. I said, I can't, I can't give you a comment. Who, who cares? (laughs) Things change. Yeah. People have, I did at the time. And, um, I, I knew three years before it happened what day it was going to happen. And it turned out I was, uh, one day off. Really? Yeah, the and my contract expired on a Friday, and they did it on a Thursday. But I knew, I knew <laughs> because you know, there's no goodbye in radio. They're not going to risk having me go on the air. Yeah, but I knew when I signed a three year deal, uh, I committed a cardinal sin in radio. I I didn't have an agent, and I beat the general manager in a contract negotiation. <laughs> well, <laughs> you can't do that, and. And lived to tell about it. So three years uh, later, you know, and he was chomping at the bit to, to yeah, come on, three years, come on. I got, I, I mean, we're talking about demonstrably the stupidest man to manage a radio station. I will be honest with you. I don't remember who the manager was at that time. And I don't suppose we ought to be saying his name as we're going to kick him around a little bit, but uh, I, I think I know. Was he, was he the same? Was he the one that took over after? We were hired after. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's the same guy, not only that broke up the Dave and Bob show, but that told Rush Limbaugh <laughs> that guys like him were a dime a dozen and he wasn't going to pay him a hundred million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars a year. And now, as I recall, we'll come back to that. I'm not just trying to sweep that under the rug, but I wasn't in that conversation. So, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's only hearsay based on what Rush told you. I'm not. No, I was there. Him. Pardon me. I was in on it. Were you? Yeah. Well. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who told him that he was worth that. Yeah. When they were offering him, they were paying him less than they were paying me. Oh, they they were paying Rush, as I recall, it was like twenty four thousand dollars a year. Thirty two. Wanted twenty seven, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, he yeah originally, but then at the time that um, that he wanted a new contract. And they were trying to get him to sign up a three-year deal. They were paying him thirty-two. Oh, okay. And he wanted a hundred. Well, he wanted sixty or something like that. I said, "Brush, you're worth a hundred yeah. in this market." Yeah. And he said, "How?" And I said, "By every metric that you use, uh, just take fifteen percent of the gross, what they pay a salesperson, mm-hmm. and figure out the revenue on your show, and it comes out to over a hundred thousand dollars, fifteen percent commission to you." The talent. That's what you should be making. Because the salespeople who are selling time on your show are making that. You ought to. He said, well, uh, I, I don't know if I could get that. Well, ask for it and tell them you're worth it. <laughs> so he did. And and the guy, the manager, laughed at him. He said, guys like you are a dime a dozen. And, and this is what he told me. But he made him an offer. And the offer was a three-year deal that topped out at 60 and Rush and I sat down, uh, this is not scandalous, on his bed, <laughs> in, in his bedroom at his house. Yeah. And we had some notes. 
And we're coming up with little things that you can put in a contract that they're, they, you give them something to throw away, you know, and they're happy. So we're asking for personal appearance money. We're asking for extra money for doing live reads because they had him reading 10 minutes of live commercials every hour. And that's an implied endorsement any way sure. you look at it. You so, and I got and, paid to do that. Yeah, exactly. So you should get X number of dollars for every live and you should have the right to refuse to do a live if you don't want to endorse that product or if you don't know that product. Um, also, if you get an offer for $100,000 a year from another station, you can break the contract. Mm-hmm. Make him put his mouth where his money is. Yeah. So that got put in there. And when it came back, there was very little of that that was thrown out. But the retort to the ask for uh, for an out if you got a $100,000 offer was, okay, but it has to be in a top five market. Right. I remember And that. I said, Rush, who else is going to give you that? Right. <laughs> Sign it. <laughs> <laughs> he signed it, and the rest, as they say, is history. And he, and he disappeared from Sacramento on June 7th, 1988. I know that because... The last thing he did before leaving town was come to my wedding, which was June 6th. <laughs> I'm sorry, June 4th. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, Rush is another topic of conversation. It comes up all the time for me. Yeah. Always wanting to, you know, people always asking the same thing. And I'm sure that you got a lot of it over the years too. And you knew Rush much better than I did. You were much closer to him. Uh, I believe he was the godfather to your daughter. Yeah. And, um, uh, but, but I knew Rush well enough to, we had hung out somewhat. I took him to his first, uh, country bar. <laughs> he took him to the yellow rose. He went out and he bought his first ever pair of jeans for that. Wow. <laughs> and, and wore his, uh, Pittsburgh, his Pittsburgh Steelers jersey. He figured that was, you know, probably about as close to country as he was going to get. Yep. And I also tell the story about how we, we managed to talk him into a river raft one day. Uh-huh. Yeah. You introduced him to uh, Wildwater, his first ever. <laughs> it was the guy from Missouri and it was the first time he had ever been in a natural body of water. I can't. It's hard to believe. Yeah. And boy, was he ever in a natural body of water? Yeah. Cause about halfway through the trip, we hit the, uh, the, what, the, what was the curve? The Marconi, not the Marconi curve. I'm thinking of the freeway. Uh, now, the you know, curve was right down by uh, Fred Anderson's house. And I don't know that it had a name, but it was after the San Juan Rapids. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's what you were thinking of. And I, and I don't know the corner. I don't know the name of it. I know the corner because we've been down there a hundred times. <laughs> you and I but, used to go river rafting quite a bit after work during the summer. Yeah, and uh, one we time were we were heading talked, for the wall. Yeah. We, we talked, we talked, said, wall, uh, talked to Rush into going with us. And we were all sitting there in the raft moving, you know, I mean, anybody who's ever rafted the American River, that stretch of the American uh, going through Sacramento knows it was very, very mild. Yeah, it's not a class five rapid. No. Um, so we hit a little, a little bit of a ripple going through that area. As you said, it was <laughs> downstream from the San Juan Rapids and there was a curve and a, and a cliffside, a wall. Right. And we were, so we were going in a straight line and we were headed toward it. And we handed Rush the paddle and said, Rush, when we get to the wall there, just give us a little, give it a little tap. You don't have to push hard or anything. Just, you know, just kind of guide us in the opposite. Yeah. Well, he absorb the impact with your elbows and right. push back. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he stiff armed that thing. That's it. And, and we all went over and yeah. the, the boat flipped. Rush went in the water. You went in the water. I went in the water. My our our, our uh, the ice chest full of beer went in the water. I think uh, I had sunglasses and a cigarette in my mouth at the time when, <laughs> and uh, we you and I come up laughing, and Rush was just absolutely horrified. Yeah, he was in a real panic, a serious panic. Although, as we explained to him at the time, so Rush, it's only four feet deep. <laughs> but so, it is moving and you don't want your feet to hit the bottom so yeah float keep your feet up off the bottom yeah. just wait a minute you can see where this ends we're gonna we're gonna you'll be able to walk here in a minute 
you assumed the role of captain and uh, started barking out orders. You said, I'll get the boat. You get rush. Right. (laughs) Nice move. (laughs) You did get the boat and one of the oars. And rush started climbing you like a ladder. Oh man. Yeah. I got behind, I got uh, my, my arm around his, his neck like this and my right hand in his lower back. (laughs) <laughs> and I wouldn't let him turn around because he'd yeah. have climbed me like a tree. Yeah. And we'd have both gone under and, and I talked him into. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that that position freaked him out because I think a person in his, in his situation at the time, what he wants is to grab onto you. Right. And he can't do it because you're behind him. But I told him I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let him because it was not in our best interest. And so we're just going to float until this water stops moving. And eventually it did, and we got to stand up. Well, you came up with the raft, and I said, Rush, I'm going to get you into the raft, but I'm going to let you go. So hang on to the side of the raft for about 10 seconds at the most. No, no, no. Relax. (laughs) Remember? Relax. So I went under the boat, came up the other side, reached over and grabbed his wrists that were hanging on, and then we pulled him into the raft. And the next morning he got on his talk show and he talked about that incident for three hours. Yes, he did. About how we saved his life. Absolutely. Did. <laughs> we got hate mail. Right. We're <laughs> <laughs> saving the guy's life. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I don't remember if now it was that during that brief, somewhat brief period of time, I think um, somehow I became program director of that station for a, about a year and it was yep. up until the time rush left or thereabout. And I don't remember if I would, if this was the same time, but I went in one morning, I told him, uh, I walked into his show right after and, uh, I said it, when he was in a commercial uh, break and I said, I said, when, when you come out of break, I want you to introduce me. I know it's weird, but just let me, let me talk on the air for a moment. So he did. And I said, hi, I'm Dave Williams. And, uh, you know, you know, from the morning show and blah, blah, blah. I said, uh, uh, as another job here, I'm the program director and it's my job to make sure that the radio station, you know, I try to explain it. I said, I got to tell you the truth, folks. I say, yeah, you're my friends, but I got, I am up to my ears in, in hate mail, phone calls and so much, you know, rush was so controversial in those days. And the funny thing is, is he was so much funnier than he became as a national host. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was, he was just, uh, he was just honing his skills there in Sacramento, but I got so much hate mail and calls and demands. And finally, the final straw was when I got a, um, I got a, uh, uh, thing. What do you call it? The thing people fill out, you know, diary. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, uh, people made a, you know, they put in their names saying that he needed to be fired. Uh, a complaint form of some sort? It was from a, it was from a church. Oh. Anyway. I know. Simple <laughs> okay. word. And I can't, I can't think of it. You got, anyway. you got the freedom to turn that dial off if you, if it bothers you that much. Don't, don't try <laughs> to end right. America's livelihood for crying yeah, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, uh, I said, I said, number one, we're not going to fire Rush. Rush is the best thing we got. Number two, you don't have to listen, you know? And number three, I said, the Constitution of the U.S. gives you the right to free speech, but it doesn't insist on it. Somebody <laughs> should shut the hell up. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was the, that was one of, one big reason I finally just said, I can't, I can't do this and do the morning show at the same time. It really messed with my head. Yeah, trying to do the morning show because part of what you and I did was was to go against what management was telling us, and now here I was representing management sitting there in the room. But bit of a spot was it? A <laughs> little bit, a <laughs> little bit. Yeah, that business about going against what management. Um, I guess anybody who's successful in radio kind of did that. Yes, that's true. And maybe we were the first to do it in a news format. I can't believe that, but it's possible. You know, a few years ago, you sent me a bunch of cassette tapes that we had. We used to record every show. 
I and, just returned them to you. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've still got them. Borrowed them for some reason and forgot about them. So I, I, I've I got them, and I, 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 I have listened a, a little bit to some of them over the years, and I kind of feel bad now that I don't have a little, you know, little bit of uh, our show to play for people. Um, but the thing that struck me was for all of the uh, for all of the praise that we got for our work there in Sacramento together. I listen to these things now, and they go. And we were really laid back. We were easy going. We were, I'm sorry, we were boring here. <laughs> no, not we, all the time. I don't think we were boring. I think we were not top 40. Maybe I, that's all it was. I, I don't think know. we were just having a chat in the morning and keeping good company. Yeah. And people uh, seem to enjoy that. Yeah. And, and it worked. Yeah. Uh, sure. I know there was a, a a guy or two that worked for the local newspaper that didn't much care for our style. Oh yeah, well, yeah, they were there were them, right? <laughs> there was lots uh, of criticism, but well, yeah, you know, again, it goes back to the fact that what we did, what the mold that we did break was people doing news on the radio and joking about it, you know, making fun of it, and actually being opinionated, and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And I was told when I was let go, you remember the five minute news feature that we had from ABC every morning, right? Yeah. Um, Paul Harvey. Right. So when I was let go, one of the things I was told was, you know, we're getting a lot of negative uh, comments about you, Robert. And uh, I said, more or less than Rush. <laughs> and, the guy goes, <laughs> and you're editorializing in the news again. And I said, more or less than Paul Harvey. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I knew I was toast. He'd already told me so. So I'm <laughs> just giving it back to him and not letting him off easy. But, yeah, Paul Harvey opinionated on every story he told. And he was the number one newscaster in America. Right. He was the top radio personality in America. I think so, the industry is finally uh, awake to the fact that you, if you don't, uh, if you don't, uh, get people involved with their listening, you know, active listening instead of just passive listening, mm-hmm. you know, tell them something that makes them think, makes yeah. them react a little bit, uh, then you're just background noise if you don't do that. Yep. Yep. So years later, I'm at another station, and we carried the OJ trial live. Yeah. And that program director, who you know very well, yeah, called me in because um, our my my show's urban audience went sky high, and urban in those days was a euphemism for right. blacks. Exactly. And. Well, ratings How's that for a slap in the face? You know, you, yeah. know, you and we're making you're a nice, nice black family living uh, living out in the country, and uh, I guess you don't qualify because you're not urban. Anyway, well, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So um, I get get called into a meeting, and and this guy says, "I want you to find the polarizing issues." You know, it's not what we did, not what I do. Yeah. I'll comment on things, but I'm not looking to stir up trouble yeah. with people. Yeah. And he wants me to find the polarizing issues. And I said, you've said that twice. Are you asking me to race bait? <laughs> and he says, I want you to find the polarizing issues. <laughs> and that's when I told him, well, you need to find somebody else then because I'm not going to do that. I mean, Again, you know, so much, so much of the industry doesn't un- didn't understand the the subtle but distinct difference yep. between. And I used to say this uh, here in Dallas, and I did it in Los Angeles at, when I was at KNX. I said, "I will give you my opinion, but I'm not trying to talk you out of yours. I'm not trying to argue about it. Mm-hmm. You can very well change my mind, and people did that all the time." You know, it's just a matter of let's in, let's engage in a little thought here, but you don't have to be polarizing. You don't have to set fire to the building. Right. Yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. I think sometimes that uh, uh, we we were very very fortunate in the time that we spent on the air. Certainly, the time that we spent on the air together, and uh, uh, having just retired in the last six weeks myself. What? Uh, <laughs> you didn't know that? I don't think so. Really? Well, <laughs> let me catch you up. I am out of radio. Wow. Maybe I knew that and forgot. A I don't think maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't. But um, no, you know, uh, I had a, I, it's, it's a, I had a health scare. At the end of July, last day of July, Caroline and I came out of a restaurant. We were, had lunch. We went in, went to the car and I was unlocking the car door. Next thing I know, I'm being loaded into the back of an ambulance. It, about 15 or 20 minutes had passed and I was just, I had passed out. I just blacked out, hit the pavement and was out. They took me to the hospital. They did a bunch of tests. They kept me overnight for observation. For the next three months, I had to go to a neurologist and a cardiologist on a fairly regular basis. And they did, they did everything, EKGs, ECGs, you know, BVDs, everything they could do to, uh, to scan my brain and my heart. And at the end of it all, they came up with the idea. They said, you know what? You're fine. We, we can't find anything. We can't find anything wrong with you. They both said the same thing independently. They didn't even know each other. And they said, um, I think it was the neurologist just said, we, we don't know what happened. But we do know what did not happen. You did not have a heart attack. You did not have a stroke. You don't have a brain tumor or anything approaching it. I said, stop right there. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> so so what I have to time, ask you about is, pardon? were you unconscious or conscious during the ambulance trip? I I came around just as they were putting me in the ambulance, but I was very, very very, very hazy. Uh, the the uh, neurologist figured later that day, she said, I think you probably have a concussion because you hit the pavement pretty hard. Okay. Well, one of the most embarrassing things to do is to watch traffic through your feet. <laughs> I don't remember. Looking out the back window of the ambulance <laughs> there. I don't remember. Taking that. you someplace. But after after we got home, you know. First of all, the state of Texas won't let you drive for three months if you blacked out somewhere. It makes it makes a little bit of sense. Most states have something like that. So I was not able to drive for three months. And uh, I sat home and I rather enjoyed it. And uh, my my lovely and feisty Carol Ann said, you know what? You're 72 years old, man. Why don't you just stop? Pack it in. And I did. And I I'm very happy. Gotten to sleep past two thirty in the morning for the first time in forty years. How's that going? <laughs> huh? Are you able to do that, or do you still kind of wake up at a? No, a lot of people ask that. I I I, uh, I sleep until usually it's like five forty five to six fifteen. Um, by six o'clock, usually I'm up, and that's good for me. I I love getting up that time of the morning, and. Uh, Going to bed still relatively early, but not not at eight o'clock like I was for so long. You told me I remember very distinctly, and I've told this story many times. In fact, a lot of the things that you said that were so very funny, I've, I've repeated to people. I always give you credit too, because I don't care who you know. If, you, <laughs> if it's funny, hard. it's funny. But you, <laughs> after you retired, um, I know you were doing uh, construction work for a while, yeah. and. uh and I remember talking to you on the phone. By, by the way, in case people think we're just getting together for the first time in many, many years. No, we, we talk about once a year or so. Mm-hmm. But I remember you telling me, I said, uh, so how's uh, how's retirement? This was, you were fairly early into it. And you said, well, I've learned how to spend two hours picking out an avocado. Yeah. And I thought that was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. And <laughs> now here I am. Bought an avocado today. Yeah. <laughs> Looked at every one of them. Picked up every one of them. Had some conversation along the way. Yeah. yeah. yeah you, you still, still you still singing? No, I stopped. No, really? Yeah. Yeah. Again, people insisted. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. I had a couple of groups. I think you saw one of them. It was a, a men's quartet. Yeah. 
And one of the guys in the group was the original tenor from the four lads. Right. I remember that. Jimmy yeah. Arnold. He was, he was just a sweet, sweet guy. And, uh, that group, we sang together. Jimmy uh, ultimately left uh, because he wanted to retire again and we replaced him, but we sang professionally for seven or eight years. And that was fun. And then uh, when it stopped, uh, I I was quite a while between groups that I had a desire to sing with. And, and a good friend of mine who is a music director was getting bored. He had kind of retired and, and he was a little bit bored. And he said, we should put together another group. Okay. So I selected some people and we made it for three years. And the, my rule was no drama. We don't want any drama in this because that's what kills you. You mean like conflict? Yes. Yeah. Just uh, don't don't bring your drama to. The, so I picked out people who were just not going to do. It. Well, it turns out it was it was the music director who who brought the <laughs> drama in and of course. made it a little uncomfortable for people. And we stopped rehearsing, and I was sweating getting through the bookings that I had for the rest of that year. But that group sounded good. It was it was a ten voice uh, men and women mixed voices and we did jazz arrangements and and we did christmas concerts and we did patriotic concerts and yeah, people loved it. it had a dumb name Folsom gold is what we called it because i wanted to call it the gold standard and i got outvoted on that that's that's a little pretentious that's a little arrogant gold standard well we're going to be singing standards and uh, right and it's when you have to explain that you realize you're yeah you're yep. okay what do you guys want so what about theater? Are you doing any theater? No, no, I, I did. Uh, I, I kind of did Groucho one more time because the theater where I originally did that Chautauqua theater, they called yeah. and said, you want to do it one more time? And I said, no. <laughs> and <laughs> why not? Uh, here's why not. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I, that, that show that I did uh, with Groucho, which, by the way, paid off a mortgage. Thank you, Mr. Marks. I appreciate that. Um, I played him at four different ages. You start out as right. a boy with the brothers, and then you spend a, um, a goodly portion of the first act, the most of the first act, as the character that we remember from the movies and, mm -hmm. and so on, with the mustache and the cigar. And, and, uh, and then intermission comes back, and I've aged. Groucho is the one that we saw hosting You Bet Your Life. Yeah. And then at the end of that, I played him as an 87-year-old man. With all of the uh, aging and costume change going on on set, on, on the stage, while people are watching and I'm talking. It was really a very nice uh, show that we enjoyed. And people loved it. Uh, but I couldn't play the young guy anymore. Yeah. And so the theater said, we'll buy you a wig. And I said, okay, that's two reasons I don't want to do it. <laughs> I, I don't want to wear a wig. Okay. So we, we arrived at, at an amount of money that would, that would make me do it. That show was called Minnie's Boys. Money, so that was good. But yeah. in looking at the, at looking at the uh, video of that show, I thought, I'm too old, too slow, and too fat yeah. to do this. So, you know, I, I'd stopped auditioning years ago because I, I never had very few times that I have a good experience auditioning for a theater part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I never hurt a show that I was in, and I was typically asked to be in it because we were on the radio. Right. And that, that meant ticket sales. Yeah. So I would... Uh, I would take a part if it was something that I wanted to do and the director wanted me and I didn't have to audition. And some people call that arrogant. I just called it practical. No, it's just doing it your way. Yeah. It made, it you know, made nothing wrong. Mad. And I thought the only time that I will audition is if I really want a part and it's not being offered to me. And the only one I could think of is Tevye. I was going to say. That was going to be my choice. It's like everybody looking at you right now is going, Oh my God, he should be on, he should be doing Fiddler. <laughs> well, I, I had done 
a whole bunch of the parts that I ever always, you know, Harold Hill and the Music Man and and uh, Henry Higgins in in My Fair Lady and and uh, uh, Camelot and, and a lot of the plays that I wanted to do I'd done, but never Tevia, and I wanted to do that. So it came up recently up here, and I went out to an audition. And I want those four hours of my life back. It was a total waste of time. The audition <laughs> was, process? Yes. Yeah. Four hours? Yeah. One of the directors, well, the director, I guess, was was a dancer and a choreographer. Uh-oh. And so I'm talking two hours a night. There were callbacks. Uh-huh. And the, the owner of the theater decided that he wanted to play Tevya because <laughs> it was something that he always wanted to do course so it was pretty much understood how that was going to go right but about an hour and a half of the first two-hour audition was spent learning the choreography that you were going to do in a dance movement part well you know tevya is not on his toes no (laughs) he's he's an old guy he just bounces and does this with his hand right and and so everybody is, and I, and I say everybody, the turnout must have been 16 people, tops, not enough to even cast the show. <laughs> but I figured by showing up, I'd made a commitment. So when they called me back, I went the second night and, oh, man, by the time that was over, I was hoping that I wouldn't get cast. <laughs> and I didn't. So I'm done. That's it. I hear you. Now, <laughs> how about you? Uh, uh, about what? I'm a, a, any theater or any sort no, of creative? I, you I, you know, I will tell you, my my theater my theater experience is a lot like my radio, and that was that uh, I had one really really great uh, experience, one really great place for me. It was Stage Door Comedy Playhouse in right. Sacramento, and it was such a family thing that uh, you know I I became part of their family, and I. And uh, Jerry Grisham and, and Laura Darzell and Bud Rice had put together the theater and they ran it for so long and they had such great success. And I became part of their family and I stayed, I would take over Jerry and Laura's house when they were going vacation. And yeah. they asked me to take over the theater when they gave it up. And I decided, no, I wasn't going to do that because it wasn't going to be the same. But I never had any, any desire to go audition anywhere else. I just didn't. And then, you know, and I wrote a few plays and we ran them there. And, uh, they went fine and, and they ran in other places too. As a matter of fact, I went to, uh, I went to Romania where they staged a production of my very first comedy mm-hmm. in, at the National Theater. Yeah. In, and I'm sitting there in the audience with all these Romanians and I don't understand a word that the cast is saying. The set is great. These actors are really fantastic. I can tell that, but I can't tell what they're saying, but I know oh, you laughs are, laughs are coming in the right place. Yeah, that's good. And, and the check cashed. Yeah. Nice. So that was a, Always that nice. was a big thrill, but, uh, no, I haven't, I've been thinking a little bit about it now that I'm retired. It's like, well, I have, I know, I have one connection in the Dallas theater, uh, and uh, you know, might start poking around a little bit, but I don't, I don't have, uh, I don't have any desire to act anymore. For one thing, I quit. I, I got to a point, even at stage door, where I could no longer remember my lines. Mm. Just couldn't do the memorization work. Not willing to do the development work that it takes uh, in taking a new play and making it work. When I'm done writing, I'm done writing. You guys do what you want with it. Yeah. The way I feel about it. So how many plays did you write? There were five? Yeah, five. Five that I finished. Five that got performed. One that was a big mistake. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I enjoy writing. But uh, I don't know. I'm finding I'm getting a little bit lazy. But... I don't think that's got anything to do with with retirement or, or or even my age. It's just a matter of it's like yeah, I've done it. Yep, been there, done that. Yeah, and uh, so I was just going to ask you. You know, I've people telling me that the problem with being retired is that they get bored, and my first thought is well, that's on you. 
Yeah. It's got nothing to do with the life that's going on around you. Yes. What do you do? Well, I, I heard somebody say once that people who are bored are boring. I heard that just today, as a matter of fact, <laughs> that exact <laughs> yeah. line. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if it's true or not. Um, there's there's another adage that stuff that needs doing expands to fill the time available. Right. There's always something to do. Yeah. And, and um, you know, in my case, there's so much to do that I have no problem putting it off. Yeah. And it's like a T-shirt, you know. I said I'd fix it. You don't have to nag me every six months. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll do it. But well, you know, there's always stuff to do. I, I play golf. I ride a motorcycle. I have a convertible. I got a bicycle. I got kayaks. There's all kinds of things to do. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing is that you keep smiling. Stay yeah. upright. Yep. <laughs> this side of the flower bed. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to let you go for today, but thank you so much. It was great talking to you. We've done it. As I said, we get on the phone every year or so, but uh, actually being able to look at you makes it better. And I appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) That's the price people have to pay. I looked at my face. Do you remember? I've got one ear check of us. It was when uh, we we were talking to Rush. And I said to him, this was my 40th birthday. I remember that because uh, Steve Telliano and the gang back in the newsroom, they they loaded up us with phone calls. And my, my parents called individually. And I think we had to call from the mayor. And, and Rush was in New York at the time. And he called to wish me a happy 40th birthday. And I told him that I had had a dream about him the night before. Do you remember that at all? Yes, I remember, not the conversation, the fact that that happened. Hey, I I was just telling Bob earlier this morning, I had a dream about you last night. Really? Yeah, you're in his dreams, big guy. Man. <laughs> yes. This isn't going to show up in the next issue of Outweek Magazine, is it? No, <laughs> I dreamed I was making big bucks with you. No, I, <laughs> this, is, this is really stupid. You know how dreams are. Yeah. They don't make any sense at all. You were in town. We were discussing... And I don't think the location had anything to do with anything, but you and I were in a men's room, a public restroom. This is getting worse before it's getting better. Don't worry, we were washing our hands or something. And there was another guy in there that I'd never seen, but he was just, his mouth was agape when he heard you talk because he knew who you were. So, anyway, uh, you were were saying, you were really excited because I had found a four-day seminar on ears and hearing. (laughs) And you were planning to return to Sacramento for that four-day period so that we could attend that seminar together. And what that means, I have no idea. I don't even. I'm not into dream analysis. I wouldn't (laughs) want to touch it. Now, here's the thing. That conversation and my dream happened about 10 years before Rush went completely deaf. Just thought you'd like to hear that story. Yeah. I remember one thing I, I did hear on those tapes. I I listened to maybe 10 minutes of it, and there was a thing in the morning where... Uh, there, there was a pole vaulter named Sergei Bubka. Yeah. Remember Sergei Bubka, the Russian? I remember that. Yeah. Well, he was the world record holder in the pole vault. And you asked me, cause I, I'd been a, a track coach. You asked me, what does it take to be a pole vaulter? What do you, what do you need? And I said, well, you pole vaulters are the best athletes on any track team and they're among the best athletes in the world at anything. But. The thing you need three things. You need world class speed because you're going to run down that runway. You're going to drop a 15 foot pole into a six inch box and you have to run through that pole, push it up with your left hand, pull it down with your right. So you need incredible upper body strength in order to lift yourself and, and core strength to lift your legs straight up in the air and the momentum and the power of the pole is what propels you up. And Sergey Bobka had just set a new world record, I believe. Yeah. And the third thing you need is be really stupid <laughs> because by the time you get up there and get yourself over that crossbar, now you got to fall 20 feet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Unbelievable. Out of all those years, we're we're thinking about the same bit. Yeah. (laughs) I'll leave you with one other memory. 
this occurred to me because we're talking we're talking now in uh December this is today's December 9th. So it's the time of year, right? I think I probably heard the song. But uh every every year around this time of year you and I would play Christmas music coming out of the commercial breaks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one morning we were playing uh Christmas Waltz by the Carpenters. Yeah. Which is a great classic. And I just started playing it, and you you made some little comment, and we just let the music go. And then uh, one of us said, "Oops, I think I stepped on your foot there." Sorry, but and and then we began. Yeah, exactly. And and then we began to ad lib about as if we were dancing. This is not something you and I discussed. We didn't talk about it beforehand. We didn't say, "Okay, you say this, you say that." It's just it it just happened. Yeah. It, and uh, we talked off and on through the entire song, talking about, uh, or, you know, and theater of the mind, putting it in the in the listener that, my God, these two men are dancing. They're waltzing together. I never thought of that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the commercials for a vacuum cleaner we we used to do and Oric. at one point we decided we we're going to take it apart and see what made it happen right so we're not only ad-libbing lines about taking this thing apart and and doing it with no rehearsal with the sound we're effects also fully artists we're taking right. material that's <laughs> and making noises that would be appropriate to taking and whoop and, and reactions and so on yeah fun. yeah you take a minute long commercial make it 10 minutes give them a heck of a Heck of a ride for their money, and I remember. And the uh, the 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 end line that we came up with was buy an Oric. It really sucks. <laughs> and they sold more vacuums in Sacramento that year than anywhere else in the world. And I just hope people were happy with those vacuums. <laughs> All right, thank you. You have a great day doing whatever it is you're going to do. Yeah, I still haven't decided, but uh, I got two hours more than you do. <laughs> I'm still in California. That's true. Yeah. I'll figure it out. All right. Thanks. Take care. Say hello to Joyce for me, please. All right. And my best to Carol Ann. We'll talk again soon. Forward to it.